0: With gratitude, we would like to acknowledge that Foundry Ridge Meadows is on the unceded, ancestral, traditional, and territorial land of the Caetsea and Kwantlen people. So welcome back to another episode of Peers on a Pod. My name is Connor, and today for another episode, we were talking all about substance use within our community of Ridge Meadows. I am joined by a guest with some lived experience.
1: Yeah, hello, my name is Jackson. I'm 21, and yeah, I, I have some experience with substance issues, so...
0: Yeah, so I think maybe to to kind of set the stage for our conversation, we have a lot of different talking points to go over. Uh, maybe if you just wanted to to kind of give some brief recap on what your experience with substance use has has been like.
1: Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think compared to some people, I started a bit late. Like, I didn't touch alcohol or uh, marijuana until. I think I was 17 so compared to uh some stories I've heard it's I'm a bit of a late bloomer but it's it really didn't matter because it went to, it went downhill within like six months right it, it it can grab a hold of you so quick um and it started out with just weed it was very just for fun right um and I only did it like once and then like six months down the line I did it again so I didn't really count my first time as like trying it well I did try it but I didn't do it for so long after where it was like it was a different thing but after about probably a year it's like you're smoking weed every single day um as much as you can or this is my story I was smoking weed every single day as much as I could and like I had no money no job so trying to do like really weird one-off things for people to try and earn money once I turned 19 then I was able to buy my own alcohol and uh you know before like I had gone to a few parties throughout high school and you know maybe had a couple drinks but I never really got drunk or I never really bought a whole lot of alcohol because I couldn't for one, but I also just wasn't interested. And then as soon as I turned 19, I have all this freedom and I don't know, I guess it gets to my head a little bit. I'm just like, I can do whatever I want. It goes from I I can buy a beer uh at a pub if I want. I can go out and have a beer to I'm bored at home. Let me go get a six pack. Let me go get a fifteen pack. Let me go get two fifteen packs. Let me go get Two fifteen 15 packs and a Mickey and it just, it goes into a downward spiral so
0: fast. And that's kind of, it sounds like your, your, your lead up to your substance use and stuff like that. When did you, as part of all that, when did you kind of, if there was a, a specific point or, or something that you can look back to of like, I I'm recognizing this is something that uh, I want to change or that, or that I, I don't, like this going on for me was there a point that you can remember that, that you kind of Where it like,
1: started to like kind of feel like it was yeah. like an addiction like it was something I didn't want
0: yeah
1: right um I th- I don't think that ever really happened with the alcohol and weed for me it wasn't until uh cocaine came into my life that everything started to really fall apart because uh, I could manage myself with the uh, with the weed and the alcohol, at least I could get out and do what I needed to do, have a job or whatever. But I remember I didn't want to do coke. Uh, I it just randomly got offered to me at one point where I was having I was having a lot of troubles with uh, the relationship I was in, um, just lots of stress, lots of fighting. And someone else asked me to come hang out and I was just in such a bummed out mood where I was like, I'll do whatever right now. They offered me some Coke and I was just like, why not? You know, I don't give a shit right now. Why not? And then it gave me the sense of like calm that I wasn't, I hadn't felt in a long time. And then after that, I was just, just chasing that feeling for at least like another year because I I stayed in that relationship um, after because all of a sudden I had this coping mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Just, just whenever stress gets really bad, just, you know, hit up a dealer, which in turn just made the relationship, you know, turn into more and more of a toxic ball of flames. But,
0: uh, that's a kind of a good jumping off point, maybe to kind of go into one of our first, uh, you know, talking points. of the idea of, Isolation and connection, and how those kind of intermingle with substance use. So, from from what you just kind of recapped, it it definitely seemed like you know some some connection pieces in your life, socially speaking, um, weren't weren't where you wanted them to be, or weren't feeling good for you. And then, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but just kind of from my interpretation of you know you retelling your story, right? It was almost like a a driving factor of like seeking more connection in your life. Right. And then these substances kind of intermingle with seeking more of those connections. So.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. It's isolation. It's basically why I started, I guess, like it's like isolation and connection. They're kind of, you know, polar opposites. Um, And I had some connection in my life, but it was never the connection I really wanted and i always felt isolated even when i wasn't necessarily like actually isolated like i had people around but the people around me were only there because you know they wanted to drink or like say i go to a party right and they're there and then someone asks me to come and like come you know come drink with us come uh come to the party party with us um and it's like, okay, sure. You know, it sounds like a good time. Why not? But then, you know, party's over, you go home, and you're the next day you're thinking, all right, maybe you want to talk to uh, your friends about what happened last night, except they're not actually your friends, and you're still isolated because they never talk to you outside of when you're using those substances, you know, where they're weed, alcohol, whatever, right? I noticed after high school, basically... Those were the only connections I had was I had connections with people, but it was through the substances and without the substance, there was no connection. So it really, I was isolated completely. The only thing that gave me connection was the substances, which is why it's such an attractive thing, right? It's like if you're just craving some connection and you can't get any, it's like, well, if I go to this party and drink even though I don't want to it's like people are going to talk to me and I'm going to feel something it's kind of like almost a feedback loop in a way because you go for the connection you leave and then you feel that isolation and you realize that the connection isn't real and then you want to go back to the substance of use and you want to use it and then that makes you feel isolated because you're coping with this thing that's you're trying to feel connected, but you're using this thing, which makes you feel isolated. And then yeah, it's just yeah. a whole.
0: And then at that point, you feel so isolated that it's like, okay, even if maybe the connection isn't as genuine as I want, it's still something, right? And yeah, kind at, of like at the
1: point where, yeah, it's the loop and you start lowering your, I guess, your standards or lowering what is acceptable for you, you start, you know boundaries, you start letting go of them. It's like all personal, a lot of personal parts of you start to disappear because they're replaced by the substance and what that does.
0: That's really powerful. So when you had realized that you were maybe in this this loop, what was the process of you beginning to to make the changes that you wanted to see how did how did that come about when when we're talking like you know reaching out for supports and and even working up to reaching out to supports right like it's all a, a yeah. big part of the process
1: well like it was I I hid it I no one knew I had a problem people thought maybe I smoked a bit too much weed you know I had a couple of drinks here and there it's like oh he's a drinker you know but I managed to completely hide the fact that I was doing cocaine for like two years. Like no one knew a single. I had a girlfriend that would be in the room. I'd go into the bathroom. I'd do coke like ten times the night, and I'd come back, and she'd be. She had no idea. Right, same thing with my family. They'd come in. I have it on my computer desk, and I just hide it, and they wouldn't. They wouldn't know. Right, like two years of that. It's just kept building and building, and probably after. I mean, it did after like a year. I wanted to stop. Like truly, truly, I. Hated what it was doing to me. I didn't feel any benefits from it because I had that feeling from the initial that initial one high, right? It's like that calmness that I just kept, kept going, kept chasing. That's all I wanted. But after a year, you're not getting anywhere close to it, and I'm just spending money. But I knew, I knew I had a problem. But what really led up to it was um, I had no money, and then basically I hit up my dealer and I said. You know, give me like five hundred or whatever, and I'll pay you back and like two months go by or something and he's like, "Where's my money and i I can't get it so i I confess to my parents that I've had this addiction for a long time. I need money if I don't get the money, I don't know what's gonna happen so they they helped me out, and it was that was a really hard thing to do to go to my parents and admit this problem because I mean, I knew I'd had it for a long time, but just admitting it is, is a huge deal. It's like, especially like admitting it to yourself is kind of easier because you can kind of teeter along the fence of, well, yeah, I believe it, but you know, you can kind of teeter back and forth. But when you go out and you tell someone else, it's like, they're going to hold you accountable now. It's like, so it's a big, it's a big deal to be able to do that. And when I did it, my parents were very understanding, thankfully. They, um, they were extremely sad and disappointed. They weren't mad, right? And so we, we talked and we figured it'd be uh, good for me to go to a treatment program. Really, it's just, it was a huge buildup, but you gotta, you gotta be able to like get out there and tell other people that you have a problem. I think that's the very first step is admitting that you have it and
0: letting other people know. Yeah, just for that, it sounds like that accountability, it was a was a big point for you, because I can, I can definitely, you know, relate a little bit for for what you said, when you recognize that there's something going on for you, that that has meaning for sure, but then you're also still in control of your your own actions, yeah. or, or sometimes not right. And, and you can, like you said, you can kind of ride that line of like, you know, today's maybe a little bit better, it's not such a big deal, or or whatever it might be, right? Definitely, um, for you in in going into to treatment. I mean, it's awesome that you're you had a a, a good support system. It sounds like you know people That's that were really very, very lucky, accept you know accept you and, and support you and and kind of walk alongside you in, in that perspective. So, mm-hmm. um, what for you made uh, a successful treatment program? So it might not be for everybody, but like for for mm-hmm. your experience, what what was helpful for you?
1: Well. I think all treatment centers are different. I went to one in Vancouver and it's pretty pretty big one. There's a lot of people, lots of different houses and even the houses all had their own rules, right? So, I think treatment is going to look a little different for everyone. And but I think the uh the core of it is pretty much the same and it's it's removing you from the real world, right? You're not going to have the stressors of job or family or a lot of that stuff is pushed to the sidelines and then basically what they want what they do is they try and have you look at yourself everything you want to lay out everything you've done everything you've said just look at yourself with an honest you know from an honest point like just really take a hard look at yourself and then you know think about is this who you want to be from that point on, like, that's kind of the first step is to take good, good, hard look at yourself and who you are. And then you got to figure out what you want to be. I think that's a big issue that I've seen for some people in treatment is that they just want to get, you know, better, like, you know, air quotes, better, right? Because they don't really have a solid idea of what they want. They just don't want to be what they are now. Mm. which is a fair you know i understand that feeling completely you know very valid you don't want to you just you resent yourself you loathe yourself whatever you're doing and you hate yourself for it right and it's it that's a shitty place to be in right because you're stuck with yourself all the time but so yeah to have a successful treatment you gotta be willing to like look at yourself and really understand why you do things and then actually put work in to try and change it. It's like it's honestly very small stuff you have to do. It's like each day just a little, little thing you gotta try and keep keep at the front of your mind. It's like don't, you know, maybe you're agitated because you don't you haven't had your substance for a while. And it's like your one goal is to not lash out as much, right? Just little things like that. And you wanna just make tiny steps tiny steps over uh every day right it's just take it day by day and try and get better like truly just focus on nothing but yourself and it seems quite selfish but if you are in the vortex of addiction and you have no way out like you might have people that try to help you right like your parents or good friends it's just the support they can give you isn't What you're gonna need to be able to deal with your addiction and substance abuse issues it's it's all internal really right and the substance is not the problem it is the solution to your problem right so you gotta figure out why why you're using the substance and then you gotta figure out what you can do to change and yeah it took me i was in treatment for three months and I learned a lot, I probably could have stayed longer and learned more, but it really was just about focusing on what I can do in the day, and especially just in that very moment, just being present in that moment and doing what I think I should do not not what I want to do, but what I think I should be doing
0: It's like right, to to move forward and meet that version of yourself that you strive to be and embody
1: yeah, you are I want to become what I say, you know, like be what I say and say what I do, right? I want to be uh, congruent. A lot of the reason I use substance is because I would say things, and then I would go do the other thing, right? It's completely opposite. It's, um, I just be covering my ass, basically. But if you're able to match what you do and what you say, what you say and what you do, all of a sudden, it's like you become this person that like you don't have shame, you don't regret who you are, you don't hate yourself. And if you make a mistake while you're trying to be that, you can admit it, and you don't have to feel bad about it.
0: It definitely seems like at at the core of what you're talking about is is having a strong understanding of where you're at, where you want to be, and are equipped with the tools to pave that path yourself. Um, instead of kind of, you know, you, like you had kind of said with substances being the solution to the problem, you're kind of equipped with ways of, of making and discovering your own solutions to, to things that might come up for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like they coping
0: strategies yeah Yeah. awesome you're you're ahead of me by a step i was about to ask so from from that awesome experience that you had it sounds like at that that treatment center you know learning a lot of things maybe like what's what's some top three coping strategies that you learn from there that that work for you right they're going to be different you know for every person because we're all unique individuals and Mm -hmm. you know different things resonate with us uh, better or worse right for sure and
1: Honestly, depending, because I was moved throughout the treatment center a fair amount, depending on the situation and stuff, like just the environment, different coping strategies I've found worked better. So it's, it's really about, I think, trying different things, like honestly giving them mm-hmm. a, like a shot, because a lot of coping strategies people probably have never tried, and they think just sounds silly. Like prayer, for me, sounded stupid. Because, I don't know, I grew up in a Christian household, and then yada, 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 I'm not a Christian. Um, but so prayer, the whole idea of prayer, like, was very weird. To, I didn't like it, right? And then I had a sponsor, and he just said, you know, just, just try. What have you got to lose? Just try it. So I did it a couple mornings, um, and I had, you know, pretty good days. It's not... It's not my favorite coping strategy, praying, but I'm just saying that because it's something I would have never tried or thought to try or even, you know, thought would have worked. And yet it had an actual effect and it didn't right away. But when you try it and then you start thinking about it and noticing how that affects your mindset throughout the day, it's like, it does make a difference. But so my favorite coping strategies, I really like to listen to guided meditations I mean you can look up so many guided meditations right I have my own personal favorites you can probably find your own but like just a 20 minute guided meditation where I just kind of lie down or sit back close my eyes can really take me out of whatever mindset I was in and it can take a while to really settle into that but it's like it can, if you're in a really bad mind space and you don't know what how to get out of it, I prefer to uh, just have a guided meditation. It literally, you know, guides my thoughts to a better place. So for me, that's my favorite and best coping mechanism. Another one, though, I really like to do is, well, I guess another two. I like to take my dog out on a walk, just be in nature. It feels a very meditative experience and then reading I find reading too because it kind of your brain focuses on you know the page and you're trying to focus and put together the story of whatever you're reading and that can also just take you out of whatever mind space whatever area you're in right now in your head you can kind of transport yourself into a book if you can you know Mm -hmm. some people I know that's maybe not very easy maybe you know audiobooks that could be a great option, too. But yeah, so meditation, walks, reading, those, I think, are the top strategies. I mean, there's others, of course, too, and person to person, but personally, those work wonders for
0: me. That's awesome. You know, being part of of that treatment center and, you know, recognizing the, the person that you might have, you know, wanted to become and where you're at now, what was the process for you? For setting goals that you know, kind of active, maybe like like milestones or or the mm-hmm. moments along your journey that you kind of look back and and can think of like, wow, I've I've come a long way. Like this, yeah. this means a lot to me, and and kind of the support to reach those goals. Like, what's that whole process mm-hmm. like for you?
1: So, one of the important things I learned about setting goals is I w- I was never really a goal setter. To begin with, I just kind of cruised through life, and whatever happened happened, right? And I don't really care. Like, but probably the only goal I ever had before was to get my license in a car, right? And those took a while, but I got those goals. But one thing I learned, I think, in recovery is when you're when you're setting those goals, you want to aim low, and that doesn't like don't not aim like up for some. Something that you can achieve and would benefit you, but like, don't aim for the stars on day one, right? Like, you're gonna overload yourself if you do that. So, when I started, it was just first like week there, it was like, all right, my goals are just to be able to settle in and, you know, just get comfortable kind of. That was my initial goal was just to be comfortable in an environment where I felt really out of place. And that took probably about you know, a week and a half or two weeks before I started feeling like, actually okay at the treatment center. And then my next goal was like, be honest in the morning group shares. And that took me a little while too, before I was completely honest with everything on how I was feeling, there's some things I would leave out. And it's, it's just small, small goals. For me, it was get, you know, maybe a page of the work done read, we had plenty of daily tasks and stuff. And it was like, you don't have to do all of them. And maybe not all of them are super beneficial. So my goal was I wanted to journal every single day. And I made that a goal for me. And by the end of it, I came out with, you know, 90, like two pages of the journal, right? I journaled every single day while I was there. And I had never journaled before, like I didn't journal. And so that, you know, just setting little goals, it's like, it's not that hard to write a page at night, It's not that hard to write a gratitude list of five things, three things even in the morning. What are you grateful for? And how are you going to show appreciation today? Right? It's very, very small little goals that you want to set for yourself. And that's what I did. It's just very small goals. And then you reach that goal. You feel good. It's like you've hit your goal. And now it's time to set another one. And you just keep making progress.
0: What you had said earlier, like having such a lofty goal right at the start, it can sometimes be a little bit of a like a motivation drain sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're like, oh, I have this, you know, huge thing that I want to do. And that's wonderful. And you maybe you should want to do that, right? But if there are no like smaller achievable goals that you can kind of celebrate and feel good about completing on the way to that, it's kind of just like, oh, you know, you check in with yourself after a week. And if your goal is like this huge, big thing, and you can only be like, oh, I've only done so little, there's so much to do. You're just going to feel so
1: drained and like, yeah, Yeah. like, uh, good story about that. Exactly. When I first went into treatment, I was like, all right, I'm going to quit cocaine forever. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm not going to smoke weed. And I'm not going to have any nicotine either. Just not, I'm going to go cold turkey day one. Mm -hmm. And the stress it was causing me within the first like three days was absurd. I was like, okay, this goal is way too lofty, right? I need to like just figure out what I'm going to do for like tomorrow, right? Yeah. Got my nicotine back. And it's like, that was one thing. If you're going to try and quit a bunch of substances, probably like keep nicotine or something, keep something. A lot of people keep, su- like, maybe it's not nicotine, maybe your thing is, like, bubbly drinks or whatever, right? But it's, like, it's good to have a different substance that isn't the one that you're addicted to. And it could be whatever, right? It could be pop. It could
0: be, you know, your morning coffee. Cake, it could be yeah, coffee,
1: right? Yeah. Whatever. Like, replacing that with something could be a good goal, too.
0: It's something but, that's a little bit more in line with the lifestyle that that you're aiming for, perhaps, right? Yeah. Mean,
1: yeah, it's like, even once, like, I'm out of treatment now, right? And it's still still the same process of setting goals. It's, don't make them too big. I'm making them a little bit bigger now than just, like, the next, like, two hours ahead. It's like, what do I want to do in the next yeah. two hours, hour, right? It's now, like, what do I want to do in the next day or two or three? I'm, like, trying to have a little bit of a goal oriented future. I don't have to hit all of my goals, right? But... And goals change, the route changes, everything. But just having that system in place gives my life like it feels like there's this sort of drive. Like I'm just the ball is rolling forward. I'm not at a standstill like I was yeah. before. Right? It's like things are happening. There's progress. Where when I was in that vortex and cycle of addiction, it's like complete pause. Nothing's going anywhere. The only place anything is going is like. <laughs> down right like my mental yeah. health downs physical health downs like nothing good is happening in uh, the cycle of addiction
0: i think just to kind of to wrap up i mean thank you so much for for sharing all that stuff and thank you for having me i think a big thing that i've really taken away from this was kind of like that initial like start like that when you started to recognize yourself that you wanted that change you know and and you're able to come out and and say things to people that cared about you and, and and loved you right i think that is sometimes where we see a big split in people's trajectories all the time right like when they they don't feel like there is that connection or that safe place it can be it can be pretty isolating still right like isolating was kind of the the cause or the preemptive cause of a lot of yeah. substance use and it can it can kind of stick with you if there's nowhere else to turn
1: yeah i like, at that treatment center, I don't know a single person that didn't feel isolated, right? It's yeah. It goes hand-in-hand hand with addiction.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jackson. And thank you all for listening to the episode of Peers in a Pod. Join us next time where we continue our conversation, all things substance use within our community. Bye.